0: And uh, I, I have been. Are we on? There we go. I've been preaching uh, for a little over 20 years as the pastor coming up on 17 years. And I've done several book series as I believe that preaching through the Bible is the best way to preach. A lot of preachers would maybe disagree with me on that uh, today. And I know there are a lot of different kinds of preaching. And uh, topical seems to be probably the most popular method uh, method today. And and I'm not opposed to that. I think there's a time. Um, But I've just always felt like the best way to study the Bible is line upon line, verse upon verse, here a little, there a little. And I think God honors that because he honors the word of God, according to the Bible, above his own name. And in doing that over the years, I've preached through several books of the Bible. I I think one of my favorite books that I preached through was Genesis And uh, and then going all the way through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, that that was just uh, such a sweet journey for me. And I've done other books, the New Testament, going back and forth in the old. But I will tell you, as we go through First Samuel, I am just as excited today about studying and preaching through this book because I, I was telling someone this morning, I said, I don't know if it's because I know where it's going and I know there's so much good stuff. Uh, and first and second samuel and, and first and second kings uh or if it's where i'm at i don't know i can't figure it out i know this uh, it may be just because it's the bible and i know that the bible is uh, probably the best thing that we can do and read uh, i was reading today that uh you know you can't get any better if I let me modernize a little bit you can't get any better than wisdom uh, you can't compare her value to the things that you'll find in this world and when we study the bible and we ask god god i want understanding will you please give me wisdom do you know what there's a promise in James chapter 1 that says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given unto you. And, and, and that's what I hope and pray comes out of every study in Scripture. For you, as collectively as a church, that as we study the Bible and we stick to the Bible, that every time we open it, our minds will be renewed, right? So that we don't be conformed to this world but we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And that's the goal. And so today I'm going to go through first uh, Samuel chapter seven, and uh, I'll not read the entire chapter for sake of time, but we are going to preach through two thirds of the chapter. And uh, I want to preach a message entitled God hears the broken. God hears the broken. So in first Samuel chapter seven, you follow along with me if you will, And verse one. In fact, if you'll stand one more time with me for the reading of God's word. (laughs) And the men of Kirjath jerim came and fetched up the ark of the Lord. Now, remember, it had been taken. We talked about this last week, and brought it into the house of Abinadab in the hill, and sanctified Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. Now, just as a side note, there's no reason to think, for those of you that have been up with the series, that Eleazar was a Levite, nor that he was necessarily qualified. But he was apparently committed and dedicated enough to the Lord that they felt safe with him guarding over the ark, okay? So he was at least committed enough to the Lord, and they committed it to his care, and he was going to watch over the, over the ark. And verse 2 says, And it came to pass, while the ark abode in Kirjath-Jerim, that the time was long, for it was, notice what it says, 20 years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Now, that's a far cry from where we were in the last chapter. Now, here's Israel crying after the Lord because the ark is not where it's supposed to be. All right. Now, let's, let's go on. Verse 3. And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If you do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. And the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth and serve the Lord only. And Samuel said, "Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray for you unto the Lord." And they gathered together to Mizpah, and drew water and poured it out before the Lord, and fasted on that day. And said there, uh, "And said there, we have sinned against the Lord." And Samuel judged the children of Israel. In Mizpah. Heavenly Father, I thank you again for your precious word. And Lord, we do pray today that you would bless it in our hearts, that you would open our eyes, that we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. And Lord, that you would teach us thy precepts, that we may keep them unto the end. We pray, God, that we would hide its words in our hearts to keep us from sinning against you. We pray that what you find today in us would be a broken, contrite spirit and a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. I yield myself to you again, God, and I ask that you'd help me to get out of your way. I ask that you just use me as a vessel, and I pray that you would be pleased, Lord, with what you hear and even more so in what you see in us when we leave here. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. The history of Israel is amazing when you consider that no other nation has ever been as privileged concerning the providential presence or the promises of god we talked about that several weeks in a row however scripture reveals that their relationship to god as it pertains to obeying his word was cyclical uh, in a very specific way that is god blessed them and he continued to bless them and he would deliver them and did deliver them into the promised land while they were there they grew let's just say this way out of touch with god Um, You could say it the way some prophets said it. They forgot God. Others said they backslid. Whatever. Uh, The fact is they grew out of touch with God. They would then decide. They decided to put other things ahead of God in that time. And the Bible would call that idols and and idolatry. Then God would punish them. You say, well, wait a minute. I, I, I thought God was a loving God. He is a loving God. And just like a loving father punishes their children for sin. God says whom the Lord loveth. He chasteneth and he scourges every son whom he receiveth, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse six. So God would not let them get away with sin as his people. He would not let them turn their backs on God and God would punish them. Then uh, he would do that in various ways. Then they would feel bad about it. And when they got into a predicament, they would cry out to God. They didn't like their condition. They didn't like the famine. They didn't like uh, the pestilence. They didn't like the enemies that were carrying them away. They, They didn't like their condition. They didn't like the chastisement of the Lord and So they would feel bad about their condition. The Bible says they would cry out to God and God then would deliver them again. He would raise up a leader. We know that as a judge to guide them out of their situation. Sadly, as we noted last week, that would happen over 300 years. What a waste of time cyclically they would go through this over and over now our text this morning happens to be the last of these cycles under israel's last judge who is samuel but this time interestingly enough if you go back and study through the judges and study the cycle that i've just that i've just told you about you'll realize that things are a little different here it's not the same tone the hearts of the people have been touched they've been affected they were broken before the lord and this time for all the right reasons have you ever been broken before the Lord? Say it a different way. Has God ever had to break you? Or have you been broken before the Lord? I'll tell you from personal experience that when God finally breaks the heart of his child and they respond with a humble desire to do the next right thing, God is about to do a great work in that life. Because the Bible says he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. Now, you may be here this morning, and you're at the end of yourself, and you're ready to cry out to the Lord. You, you, you may be in a position where you're not saved, and God's been dealing with you, and dealing with you, and dealing with you, and, and now today you're finally there you're finally there, where your heart is broken it's it's very tender, and your your heart feels very wide open to the gospel and the promise of salvation and and Today is the day when you could see yourself crying out to God and being saved. I would encourage you in that way if if that's your case, but you may also be a believer, and you're to the point where you are not happy with your spiritual condition you're you're not settled. You don't have the peace of God concerning a decision or perhaps a situation in your life. And, and, and you feel that pressure. You feel that burden in your life. And you just don't feel whole. You don't feel settled. And, 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 and for whatever reason, you just don't feel like you can reach out to God. That's, a, by the way, a pretty lonely and a very sad place to be. And I think we've all been there at one time or another. You're ready to cry out to the Lord. This story, like hundreds of others in the Bible, is recorded to encourage you, if that's you. Because it's to remind you that when your heart is sincerely turned toward the Lord, that not only does he hear, but he's ready to help. And he's ready to help you overcome your worst of enemies. Now, we all have enemies. It could be vice. It could be the sin that dwells in you. It could be your pet sin. I don't know what it is. But I know that when a heart is humble before God and broken and we cry out to God, the Bible over and over, if not in the book of Judges, if not in this story, plenty of other places does the Bible tell us that God, his ear is always open and his hand is always ready to save and his heart is always ready to forgive. And of course, his grace is always sufficient for the need. He wants to help you overcome not only your greatest Or your worst enemies, but also your greatest fears. I want you to notice several things this morning in your outline. First of all, I want us to notice together, number one, the heart of the people. The heart of the people. Now, this is where it's different from all the other times. Yeah, Israel's felt bad because they turned their back. But most of the time you get the indication that they weren't feeling bad for turning their back on God. As much as they were feeling bad because their situation wasn't as prosperous. And their conditions weren't lining up the way they had planned. You know, they, they had a plan and they, they had laid it all out. But, but when push comes to shove, they were really kind of like, God, will you just bail us out of this? You know, we don't have left any money in the bank and our bills need to be paid and God, whatever. You know, I don't know how you want to couch it in today's vernacular. But the fact of the matter is, this time is different. Notice what it says in verse 2. The Bible says, uh, at the end of it, it says that all the house of Israel lamented, notice the phrase, after the Lord. They lamented after the lord uh, something sticks out immediately about the disposition of the people they're crying out after the lord now i know they've done this hundreds of times but this time it's different this time they're lamenting the fact that god's presence is not with them okay it's gone they're not crying to god they're crying after him how many know the difference yeah There's a big difference, Michael, between me crying to God. And and by the way, there's nothing wrong with crying to and and letting your complaints know. But there's another thing to pursue him, to cry after him. Hey, wait for me. Hey, I I want to be where you are or better. God, I want you to be where I am. They're crying out to God. The word lamented is a very strong word for crying after God. By the way, that's a big difference from where they've been 20 years prior. And now... They're realizing it. Remember the Ark of the Covenant? This was the main piece of furniture in the tabernacle, as the Bible describes it, or the tent. And it was the designated place that God said, I will meet you there. It's there that I will atone for your sins. It's there that I'll put my Shekinah glory cloud. It's there that you'll see the fire fall. It's there where I will take care of your sins. I am ready to meet you there. And they didn't have it. Remember, for all intents and purposes, it's gone. Now it's in the house. And they don't have it in the public place. They're not there. God's not there. Now all of a sudden, remember what the ark represents. It represents God's presence. It represents God's provision and protection. Listen, it would be a terrible place for you to wake up tomorrow and go, I wonder if God is there. Or worse, if God is here. I wonder if God can see me. I wonder if God hears me. I wonder if. You know, thankfully, as a New Testament Christian, you don't have to ask that question. The day that you got saved, and every day since then, you've never been by yourself. God is always with you. Amen. Amen. But they didn't have that promise. So the designated place was now away from them, and they finally are getting it. You know, it's interesting to me, as I read through these passages over and over and over again, it's kind of interesting how God always gets his way eventually. His will always comes around. Doesn't, Doesn't matter how. By the way, thankfully to God, it doesn't matter how long it takes. 300 years they've been living in a cycle and he finally has their attention. This was the place where God was going to meet them and it's gone or really he's gone. They're now talking spiritual. They're now taking spiritual things more seriously. They didn't do that before. By the way, that's a good thing. It's a good thing when God's people finally start to take things more seriously that really matter. Things that are spiritual, things that are holy, things that are truthful, things that have that, that there's there's some good praise to be involved, the virtuous things. The Bible says in Joel 1 and verse 13, gird yourselves and lament, ye priests, how ye ministers of the altar, come all lie all night in sackcloth, ye ministers of my God, for the meat offering and the drink offering is withholden from the house of your God. God tries again in the book of Joel to wake up the children of Israel and say, Listen, you're missing it wake up take your laughter and make it to mourning lament he looks for that in the heart of someone who's turned away from god psalm 38 and verse 18 for i will declare mine iniquity i will be sorry for my sin and that's where they're there they're headed right now their hearts are tender the heart of the people second the second thing you notice immediately in the verse in verse 3 is the voice of the preacher samuel takes full advantage it's almost like he sticks right when the fire is the hottest, he puts the brand right in and says, Now, here's where we go. Notice what it says in verse three. And Samuel spake. Who's Samuel? Well, he's the last judge, but he's also the prophet. He's the first of the prophets in many ways. He, he says, And Samuel spake unto all Israel, saying, If you do return to the Lord with all of your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Ashtraw from among you and prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve him only. Some would say, Tender. but it stands to reason that god's timing here better than samuel's is perfect when the people were sensitive to spiritual thing when people were 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 needy to hear from god the most that's when god spoke he speaks directly to their heart samuel's message was preached to the people at just the right moment and god did an amazing work in their life what was the difference well we know this God wasn't any different because the Bible says, well, and, and I changed not. Am I wrapping more? around here? I don't know what it is. It's your fault, whatever it is. not changed <laughs> in 20 years, so it's not going to change today. God wasn't any different. Would you agree with that? So, so on the cycle, God didn't change. Well, well, well let's go back. Um. Need it. Need <laughs> you guys are like, yeah, this message is for them. It's not for us. so I just use the handheld? Uh, I knew you were going to say that better? Okay, let's recap. God wasn't any different. Say amen. Amen. Was God any different? No. No. So he was the same. Had Samuel changed? No. Now, really, all indication is he's now about 60 years old. Right? So his message has never changed. Right? So God didn't change. Samuel didn't change. But what was different? It was the heart of the people. They were finally ready to hear. Vicki, they were finally ready to hear. They were finally willing to hear. Can we say it that way? They were finally ready to hear the message from God. They were crying out to God, and so God sent a message just for them. Listen, praise God for that. What a blessing. Never underestimate the power of a well-timed message with God. Never underestimate it. Time and time and time again. In 20 years, people have come in and said, Pastor, that message was just for me. I needed to hear that today. Why? Because I knew about it, I, and I've had plenty of people, I've had plenty of spouses sit together, and me go to them and talk to them, and, and, and they were like, I can't believe what you preached on Sunday. I was looking at my wife going, did you call him? <laughs> Carol. You guys remember Carol and Al Vince? uh, Carol was convinced that every Sunday on the way to church, Al was secretly on his cell phone going, okay, pastor, here's what you need to talk to my wife about today. And she would say the same thing. Pastor, I can't believe what you preached because that's exactly what whatever that week. And and, and my point is always this, whatever you need from God, he gives it to you right when you need to give it. But he's not going to give it when you're not ready to listen, but he will always give it to you when you're ready to listen. So let me ask you this morning, are you ready to hear it? Are you ready to hear whatever God has for you? Because it's amazing to me the timing of all of this. Why didn't Samuel preach that message years before? Why why now, of all things, and the only thing that you can get away out of the Bible without a bunch of other things and trying to extrapolate a myth is the fact that the people were finally ready. Their hearts lamented after God. And God said, If you're going to sincerely seek after my face with all your heart, you shall find me. That's the promise. And so God delivered a message right for them, right on time. By the way, the preaching of the cross to them that perish is foolishness. But to us which are saved, it's the power of God. For the Jews require a sign the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So as Samuel stands there, he's preaching. I fully believe and I understand this. He's preaching with what we would call as a preacher liberty. Finally, he's not preaching to the wall. These people are sponges and he preaches the message that we read in verse three. If you do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away your strange gods and astroth from among you and prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve him only and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Praise the Lord for preachers who preach the truth. But I would rather praise the Lord on high, mostly for people who will hear it and respond to it. That's the key in this passage to me. It's all about the people. The people's hearts were different. And you see the message or the voice of the preacher. Thirdly, I want you to see the response to the message. The response to the message. Verses 4 through 6. The Bible says, then the children of Israel did put away, and this time it names Balaam. Before, Samuel just said strange gods, but he names Balaam and Astroth and served the Lord only. And Samuel said, gather all of Israel, and I will pray for you. And they gathered in verse 6. Now, though they had been down the road, listen carefully, though they had been down the road of regret in the past... The road of repentance was different. Now, I don't know if you can even perhaps get the difference in your own mind. Times when you've sinned against God and you had regret as opposed to when you repented. Regret is, I regret that I did this because of my circumstances. So I'm regretting now that I have to live with the result of my sin. Repentance is, I've sinned against God and I'm going away from this. It's not, well, now I have to live with By the way, you still may have, you still may have consequences, because sin has consequences. We talked about that two years ago. But the fact of the matter is, do you see the difference? I think this was totally different, and we can see how. True repentance always leads to drastic action. True repentance always leads to drastic action. Christians can live outside of God's will and regret for a very long time and do nothing about it. But you cannot repent truly from your heart and do nothing about it by virtue of the word. You can't. So what did they do? Well, letter A, the Bible says they put away their idols. The Bible uses in the message that Samuel preaches, strange gods and astroth. And I want to help you here just briefly. It's worth noting about this phrase, strange gods and astroth. First of all, strange gods, we know now in the next verse says that it was Balaam. Balaam was the heathen god of uh, that lived around them. He was the god of fertility as it pertained to the land. He was the god in charge of making the crops grow and making sure there was water and making sure that the beef grew and multiplied. Those kinds of things. And so they were worshiping a pagan idol named Balaam. Uh, Balaam. That they were willing to confess. By the way, you see the difference. Samuel said, "Look, here's what I want you to understand. You're worshiping strange gods. You need to get them out." And they're like, "Well, we're going to name him. We're, we're going to put. We're going to put a title to it because we know who you're talking about. We know exactly what we're doing." But secondly, in his message, he names Ashtaroth. Now, to me, there's a big difference. You see, Ashtaroth represents something entirely different because she was the best beloved God. She was what you could call their favorite or their pet God. When they worshiped with a particular zeal. Do you know why? Because she was disgusting. She was a disgusting goddess of lust and licentious desire. And I'll not go into anything else about how they worshipped her. But he named her because that was what they really enjoyed most. She was a God of fertility of a different sort. And now he's getting down to brass tacks. Some would, would argue one is preaching, now Samuel's meddling. Now he's getting particular about people's sin. And he did it to a people, by the way, who were ready to receive it because when you go back you won't find him talking about this at the, at any other time but they lived in it for over 20 years now they're ready to hear it he says i want you to go back and take care of this well true revival takes when true uh, for true revival to take place a person must be separated from their idols by the way some which have no physical image Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 3, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. Should I be inquired of at all by them? God says, look, you, you've got idols that you don't even make idols to. You've got them in here, and, 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 and you're making, you're putting things above me. That's what idolatry is, is putting anything above God. It doesn't matter what it is. You name what it is. But God in the Bible says, look, you, you won't even... Make this physical idol, but I see your heart and there's something here more important than me. And the end of that verse says, should I really be inquired of you at all? You're going to come to me though. You're worshiping everything else in your life. You, you have no business to come to me until you get that right. Now, the fact is we see that God wants to help. He does. And he, and he wants to encourage them, but the Lord God of heaven will have no rival. God is a jealous God. Amen. That means that he will not share his glory or his worship or his honor with something else or anyone else. And he says here, look, if you're serious about this, then get this stuff out of your life. Well, guess what they did? They did it. They were willing because at the time they cried after God, they heard the message and they said, "Okay, God, if that's what it takes to have you with us, then we don't want this anymore. Hallelujah for that kind of a heart that they were that open. Man, they got rid of their idols. They sacked them, if you will. Letter B, they gathered together in public. Why? Because that was the next command that Samuel gives them. Notice what it says. Samuel said in verse 5, gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray for you under the Lord. Verse 6, and they gathered together to Mizpah. Samuel said, get together. So they came together, not only to hear a sermon, but, but also to pray together. As You should never underestimate the value of a timely sermon. You should also never underestimate the importance of a single service at an appointed hour because you never know what God's going to do in that service. You know, I've been in church mostly all of my life. And as I was in the military and going through our our church, like our church had years ago, revival and missions conference and couples conference and all these things going on, and, and and I could have very easily one night said, you know, I, I just don't feel like going to this. It's the whatever night of the missions conference. And we've heard Dr. Went before and all these things have been said. We kind of know the deal. I'm just really tired. I think I'll just stay home. Well, I'm glad I did not Because that night I was called to preach. What if I miss that service? What if I miss that service and my heart is not as tender the next time he calls or, or the next time he calls? And I miss out on that. That means I miss out on all of you. Well, that ain't even right. The fact of the matter is, they assembled together because Samuel was led of God to say, look, you're you're you, you if we're gonna serve if we're gonna if we're gonna seek God, we're gonna do it together. It's all things are by the way, are always better together. You could go on vacation with just your family, and that's fine. But when you involve other people in that, it's always better. You you could go out to eat by yourself, nothing wrong with that. You can have a good time with just you and your spouse, or you and your spouse and your kids. Sometimes, and you could go out with you and your spouse and your kids and somebody else's kids at a time and have a blast. Uh, Gary, you remember the – you and uh, your wife, Jenny, you guys remember the the pizza joint we went to after we did the Deschutes last year? Remember that? You remember what it's called? Okay. I got a direct message from the owner of Abby's because we yelped him and talked about our group and said he wants us to come back. So book the tickets. We'll go right back with you, and this time you can pay for pizza. No. It it was awesome. We we were exhausted. We went in there and we were starving out of our brains. And I think because we were starving out of our brains, it was the best pizza we've ever put in our mouth. And we were ready to swear on a Bible for that. All right. But the fact of the matter is, it's always it's always awesome with others. And Memorial Day would have been a good time with me and my family and maybe maybe the McCrossens, maybe. But because there were so many others there, it was awesome. Why? Because everything's better together. And God knew that. By the way. God knew that when he ordained the church, he really did. He knows exactly what we need. And, and, and so when, when they gathered together, it was for a specific purpose. Now, only God knows what he will do with those who are gathered with tender hearts to hear his word and with open minds. Only God knows the indication is that they worship the worship assembly had been forgotten. That's the indication. Because you don't find them doing this. And at the right moment, at the right moment, when Samuel preaches, he puts in there, okay, get rid of your idols. But now let's get back to what God started way back when he took you out of Israel or out of Egypt. And so they did. Now let's look at the third thing. While they were there, what did they do? Well, I'm glad you asked. They poured their heart out to God. This is a very tender and a beautiful moment in verse 6. The Bible says, and they gathered together to Mizpah, and notice they drew water, and then they poured it out before the Lord. And they fasted on that day, and they said, we've sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. What does that mean that they drew water? Is that that big of a deal? I mean, Pastor, if it's that big of a deal, why aren't we drawing water? Well, the fact of the matter is it signifies something very specific and very gracious, very humble here. It signifies their humiliation before God. It signifies their contrition of their sin. And so they take this water and they don't just throw it on the ground. They pour it out before the Lord in repentance before God. Because the Bible tells us that they said we have sinned. The the, the fact remains, the Bible talks about this. In, In Psalm 22, when we have sin in our heart, I am poured out like water. All of my bones are out of joint. My heart's like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. Jesus made those statements. On the cross. Psalm 62 and verse 8, trust in him at all times, you people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. You know why some people won't confess sin to God is because they've been lied to and they don't think that God is a refuge anymore. They think he's just this hard handed and, you know, all this kind of stuff. No, no, no. God does chasten, we know that. But he's always a refuge to the brokenhearted. Always. The Lord is my refuge. Letter D, they fasted and confessed their sin. It goes right hand in hand with the water. They fasted and confessed. You know, David's Psalm 51 is probably one of my favorite Psalms in all of the Bible. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquities, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mayest be justified when thou speakest and clear when thou judgest. David knew. Yeah, I've sinned against a lot of people, but first and foremost, I've sinned against God. That's what confession is. That's what they're saying. Notice, what, notice the specific wording. It says, we have sinned against the Lord. That was their, their main emphasis. What a beautiful sight it must be to God when hearts are open when tongues are very truthful, when we really confess, what a what a wonderful sight. Hearts that are broken and contrite. He just, he just, you ever get, if you have grandkids, you get your grandkids around you and you just give them like full body hugs and you go, oh my soul, I just, I can't love any more than this. It just, it has to be what it's like. You say, well, didn't you do that with your kids? Sometimes. But grandkids are totally different story. They don't do anything wrong, first of all, well, mostly George is the only one that does anything wrong now, but, 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 but think about it, that, that love that you feel, even if it is your kids and you think at that very moment, oh my soul, this is just so wonderful. Can you imagine what it is to God when the prodigal comes home, when, when the little boy or the little girl comes and says, daddy, I'm so sorry. I've sinned against you and against heaven. I'm not worthy to be your hired servant. Just let me go work your fields. And God just, he must absolutely rejoice all heaven. If all of heaven rejoices over one sinner that repents, what is God's heart really like when we get right? When God finally sees these people, he is ready to help. Hearts that are open to the presence of God in their life must please him. Well, when that's the case, then God's not only pleased, he's very close. Remember, they're lamenting after God. And now they're confessing to God. Well, I will tell you that it's my opinion that when the Bible says God's ready to forgive, he is right there the moment. Because if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. By the way, faithful means every time. Just means he's the only one that has the right to do it. Now think about this. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as have a contrite spirit. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, thou will not despise Isaiah 57 and verse 15. For thus the high and the lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and a humble spirit. Why? To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Do you know what they needed? They needed revival. They needed God's touch. And they came to God and God's going to give it to them. Isaiah 66, thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath mine hand made and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. That's how close God wants to be to us. What a service that must have been that day. <laughs> what a service for Samuel, what a service for those people. Hearts were open, they were honest and humble before God. So I wonder this morning, is is there some idols? Is there some idols here? Oh, we don't have them hanging on the wall. We don't have one hanging on the cross behind us or a picture of somebody. We don't have that. But there could be some things in our hearts that have been elevated been a little too much of our focus. I don't think I need to mention them, but there could be here, and I wonder if you'd be willing during the invitation just to throw them out, (laughs) if you'd be willing to ask God to forgive you and to pour out your heart before the Lord. I wonder if today would be that day. Let me ask it a different way. Does it feel like it's been a while since the Lord's presence has been felt in your heart? How how long has it been since you felt like the Lord Jesus was just right there and you could just look across and just talk right to his sweet face? Well, we sing about seeing his face. But when's the last time that he really felt that close? Well, Samuel and the people had quite a service as it was all about God, not about themselves. It, It was a time of giving, not taking this time. It was a time when God came down and did a great work. And I praise the Lord for that. But but listen to me carefully. When God does that, someone doesn't like it. Whenever God's people get right, whenever God's people are humble, there's a certain someone that doesn't like it. His name is Satan. Satan doesn't like it when Christians get right with God. does not like it when when we start putting God first. He doesn't like it when our priorities are set in line. He doesn't like it when we're humble. He doesn't like it when we're truthful. Why? Because he's a liar, and he's a murderer, and the truth is not in him, a- and he's the—that's his focal point. Now, somehow the archenemy of Israel heard the people gather together in Mizpah, and 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 they decided to break up the party. So Israel's going to come, uh, or uh, Philistines are going to come, and they're going to stand outside. And only this time, instead of praying for God after they were taken captive, they prayed to God before the battle ever took place. Look we'll at you will in verse eight. <laughs> over 7. And when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together to Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines, and the children of Israel said to Samuel, "Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that we that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines." Now wait a minute, look up here. Remember Samuel already said to them, "If you're going to serve God, he'll take care of the Philistines." Right? So he's already put the promise of God on the table. All you have to do is trust the Lord. Look what the Bible says in verse 9. Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it for burnt offering holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel. And the Lord, what? Heard him. Verse 10. As Samuel, as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew, new, drew uh, near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day. Uh, upon the Philistines and discomfited them, means destroy them, and they were smitten before Israel. The men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and smote them until they came under Bethkar. Verse 12. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Then I want you to understand that when our hearts are broken before God, God helps the brokenhearted. Number four, and we're done, we see the answer to their prayers. The answer to their prayers. It's baseball season. Do you guys know that? Some of you know that? How many are baseball fans? Okay. It's baseball season, and it's a long one, 162 games. Longest season in sports. And during the season, a hitter can go through what they affectionately, affectionately call a slump. That is, they're not hitting very well. Um, they're, some, something's just a little off. Their timing's off. Their plate vision is off. Their swing. So that when they do hit the ball, they're not making what they would call good contact. Because the bat has what we know in baseball, Dave, you know this, is a sweet spot. If you get outside of that sweet spot, you don't make good contact. It's like the center of a tennis racket. If you don't hit it right in the sweet spot, you can tell when you do hit the sweet spot, it feels differently from, from all other hits. Well, to make good contact with a ball requires that you hit it in the sweet spot. These hitters will do whatever it takes to get out of the slump. So they're paid and they're expected to hit somewhere around 30% of their pitches in play and get on base. And, and, and when they're not producing like that, it's called a slump. Some people have gone into you know, 30, 40 plate appearances or longer and not have a single hit. And, and it's just like... Man, I, I got a. You know, I, I need a rabbit's foot. I need to change my socks. I need to do something just just to get out of the slump. They'll do anything to get that timing back to be able to hit the sweet spot again. By the way, when a hitter comes out of the slump, this is what they say about him: his confidence is back. Because when a baseball player or a, an athlete is in a slump, a basketball player can't hit the bucket, and he comes back, he feels different and he looks different to everybody. Because the confidence is there. So I want to ask you, are you in a slump? Do you have confidence before the Lord's throne? Is there maybe something in your heart that is keeping you from hitting that sweet spot of fellowship? You could be in a slump. And God's just listening to your heart. And he's waiting. I'm just waiting. I want to see the heart. I, I know what the message is. I know what the next message is. But I, I'm just looking for the heart. A much tougher question is. If there is sin. Are you broken about it? James chapter 4 verse 8 says. Draw nigh to God. And he will draw nigh to you. It would be great if that's all that it said. But it continues. Cleanse your hands you sinners. And purify your hearts you double minded. It says be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Being vulnerable before God is exactly what Israel did. And so what did they do? They cried out to God and God answered in a big way. The arch enemy of Israel is the Philistine army and God delivered them again. This time, not after they were taken captive, but this time before they ever went to battle. God took care of the enemy. By the way, you could say now maybe they have a little confidence. They've tested and proved that God is true. They took the promise that Samuel put on the table and they said, wow, God answered that right in front of our eyes. We didn't even have to lift a finger. God killed more of them than we could ever kill. And we were just going to run them down. By the way, this is the confidence that we have. The Bible says in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hears us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Why were they delivered from their enemies? Because they didn't pray to be delivered from their enemies. They prayed that God would forgive them. And then they said, Samuel, pray for us that we would be delivered. And God showed up. What a story. See, when the hearts are broken before the Lord, God is close. When God is close, prayer gets very real. And when prayer is very real... Things happen. Again, I want you to notice that when the enemy closed in, the prayers went up. And that's when the adversary was defeated. When you draw nigh to God and you're in the sweet spot of fellowship with the Almighty, there is a security, there is a peace, there is a sweet confidence that you and I can't explain. We we, we couldn't put words to it. And, and, And the point of the whole thing is that God not only hears the broken, but he helps them. The stone is erected here at the end to memorialize another day in the life of Israel. And they call it Ebenezer to remind them that God helped us when we needed it. And if he helped us today, he'll probably be ready to help us tomorrow. God, we sure love you and we thank you for always being ready to help. Our soul waits for you, God. You are our help. You are our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in you because we've trusted in your holy name. So, God, we pray, let the mercy of our God be upon us, according as we hope in thee. Lord, when David penned those words, they were from a man who didn't ask for the removal of his problems, but he was trying to sequester the presence of his God. And that's what we need today. Lord, we need you desperately today. We need our hearts to be warmed to the tender voice of the Holy Spirit, and I pray that you'd speak. I pray there are no idols left when we leave here today, but they would be laid down. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, would you stand with me together to your feet? I just want to ask Jenna to play. And as we're praying this morning, I wonder if God spoke into your heart.